The views expressed on the following program of those of its hosts and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. Authors Hour. Get the story behind the story. It's all on the Authors Hour. You'll get to hear the authors talking about their books and the journey behind how it all began. Join the opportunity to hear the insights on what inspired them to write it. Now, here is your host, Wayne G. Barber. Good morning, America, and thank you for tuning in to another edition of the award-winning Authors Hour on WNRI.com. 1380 AM, Alexa, TuneIn Radio, and 11 other avenues. We're going to have an exciting show for you today. Chasing Labyrinths, a field guide to Labyrinths of Connecticut and Rhode Island by author Bill Ludwig. This book was released on Monday. That would have been uh, 427 to uh, 2020. I believe it's his first book. And he'll be calling in a little bit later in the show. As you know, you can communicate with the show at WayneWNRI at Yahoo.com. few birthdays that came in. Uh, Kevin Jenks, 62 today. Uh, Dale Patterson from Schultzburg, uh, Winston-Salem, 37 today. Uh, Benny Brown from Pendleton, South Carolina, turns 59. They listen every week on TuneIn Radio. And on Wednesday, April 27th, Harrisville resident Carrie Pariseau, from her husband Donnie, turns the big 49. A big happy birthday to everyone. Also, limousine and transportation services today by CJ Trans of Fairbanks. And sponsored also by B. Lou's Flowers. Right here at 665 Diamond Hill Road. Uh, they got a fantastic assortment of hardy pansies right now. They'll tolerate a frost and tolerate a little bit of snow. Uh, give you some instant color in the garden right now. They have all kinds of supplies to get you started in the garden season. Also, a real good deal right now and an ample supply of those Canadian wood pellets. 9,000 BTU per pound and very low creosote buildup. They're the real good stuff. And don't forget about the gift shop. Just name your denomination, and Jeannie and Ralph will match up the perfect gift for your budget. Beeloo's Flowers, surviving the uh, virus here at 401-766-3165 at 665 Diamond Hill Road for over 60 years. And also Little General Stores, there's one in your neighborhood, uh, Seven great franchises. Uh, most of them open at 5 o'clock in the morning. And they have money orders, gift cards, propane exchange, and just about everything. If you run out, you can use that as a convenience store. Uh, money orders, too, especially right now with the virus going on. Your local newspapers. And don't forget about those winning lottery tickets. We have an awful lot of people, too, calling up and uh, emailing. Uh, any book signing schedules going on at this time? Well, most of them have all been canceled because of the governor's restrictions on crowds. But as of right now, we still have uh, May 28th and 29th. We've got a big book expo. And uh, that one there is in New York, New York. And Steve Porter and his wife will be going down that. I don't know who else in the group is going to go. Uh, be going down. The Hollyhock. Writers Conference also from 529 to 531 and New Bedford Hotspot, Massachusetts for selling books. And uh, that one is still a go as of right now. Barrington Arts Festival on 531. Uh, Rhode Island Pride Fest. This will be our second year in a row on June 20th. Tampa Bay Comic Con. We'll have six or seven of our uh, sci-fi and horror our writers go down there for the second year in a row. Uh, most of them sold out of their products last year. The Loof Festival is growing by leaps and bounds over at Crescent Park in East Providence, Rhode Island, right along Narragansett Bay, and that's going to be on 8-8. Another thing that I noticed this week that I'd like to get over the year is a poem by uh, Rhode Island's Poet Laureate, Shelter in Place. Schools are shuttered, 
Everything is canceled, and my body has become an extension of my house. This shift is strange, but not entirely unfamiliar. The way a cardinal's home is disordered, stick bomb, just about captures how I feel. How the mother bird uses her shape as a template to form her nest, shoving six together in a fit of random engineering. Randoming would be a verb, I guess, or jamming it, as it applies to me, a steady state of hysteria, in which applied pressure changes the ensemble in which the structure bounces back, but not completely. I've been thinking of ways to speak to my children about fear, how to be adaptive. I want to tell them about zebra finches, who are content in captivity, and who, unlike robins, which favor mud as cement, make their nests from anything they find, strips of paper or string, fibers from a coconut husk. I want to stress that these elements the finches assemble seem haphazardly placed, but behave collectively. How there's a logic buried deep in the mother building her nest which is a story of the nature of her body, as every child's first home, that we don't struggle alone. As the architects of our days, that nature will continue to amaze us in ways we don't expect. And that's by Rhode Island uh, Laureate Tina Kane. And uh, I thought that was really nice and appropriate to get over the year. I have a lot of people also that always ask me on email, how old I am? Well, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm an older, frugal Yankee, and I don't throw it away. I get it repaired at GNR Appliance. Ovens, ranges, washers, dryers, refrigerators, dishwashers, and microwaves. Another added service now is installation of all appliances. Their seven uh, service vehicles service the tri-state region up to about 7, 8 o'clock at night. If your appliance is hurting, call George Curtin. Call him today, 401-765-2023. Also, they accommodate uh, factory recalls and extended warranty repairs. Just give them a call. Give them that number on that paperwork you got in the mail. They'll order the part, schedule the repair, and in most cases, no charge to the consumer. If that appliance is hurting... Call George Gurton, 401-765-2023. We've got another thing here we're going to be talking about, and we're going to have our guest coming in in a second, and we'll have him right on the phone. And, you know, this is another time, if you can, uh, check out your favorite retail store, see if they have a website, and do some purchasing right on their uh, website. And that'll keep them afloat while we're getting through this crisis. Also, your restaurants, don't forget about gift certificates. You may not use it today, but you will be for birthdays and Christmas. And it'll keep our small businesses afloat. Or maybe keep one more person employed. Please can think of uh, consumer purchases on e-commerce and also gift certificates to uh, see who's going to survive the virus of 2020. I know who's going to survive because he's got one hell of a website. And we're talking about American Pickers with Mike and Frank and Storage Wars. You know, they always freak out when they find a big stove or a big tote full of classic older sneakers. What an outlet this has turned into be. We have a destination store right on Main Street, one socket, the Sneaker Outlet. It is your one-stop shop for everything from sneakers of old to sneakers of new. On the top of the sale of new release sneakers, they also specialize in dead stock and refurbished sneakers. We also offer proper shoe care and refurbishment treatments, as well as a trade and trade program. We're the plug for shoes. American Pickers endorse Mike and Frank, the sneakeroutlet.com. Make your purchases or check out their vast inventory right on the website. Then give them a call and make arrangements. 10 Main Street, one socket. 02895 401 648 
1242. Here we got another one coming up here. I have to uh, plug it because we've already had our signed contracts for it. And that is Columbus Day weekend, the Situate Art Festival and Autumn Fest. We will have a present there. Now on the line right now, we have a brand new author to the Author's Hour. And he's located up in Connecticut. And we have on the line right now, Bill Ludwig. How are you this morning, Bill? I'm doing great. I'm great. Thanks. Okay, can you hear me loud and clear? This is the first I, time. I can hear you just fine. Okay. So it's really working out well. We're trying a brand new experiment with like a three-way conference call for the author's hour. I guess you got a brand new book that was released today? That's correct. That's correct. I've been the last two years working on a book, a guidebook to labyrinths uh, located in Connecticut and Rhode Island. Why Why this book? Oh, gosh. I, I, I sort of came across labyrinths uh, just a few years ago when I was looking for a cover for a, a book I was doing on um, of, uh, Sandy Beach's uh, book on spirit, some spiritual writings. And I was looking for a cover, and I, I googled uh, spiritual path and up came this beautiful picture of a person walking a labyrinth on a beach and I, I used that image on the cover and I started looking into what labyrinths were and how they were different from a maze and uh, and I got you know and I got hooked and uh, and then I discovered there's an online database that you can find labyrinths called the worldwide labyrinth locator and I uh, and that uh, and I discovered there was one in the town I was born in, which was Woodbridge, Connecticut. And so on January one, uh, I think ninety seven or two thousand or seventeen, two thousand seventeen, I uh, walked my first labyrinth, and uh, and I've been walking them ever since. Now I did a little research after we made the conference call this morning, and uh, this goes all the way back to the Romans, way back. Oh, for uh, hiding treasure, labyrinths go way, way, way back, and uh, and there's no one history. They, they there are varieties of labyrinths on every continent, and uh, throughout the throughout the centuries, and uh, and they had uh, different uses. Some people we don't know what they what the uses were, but you know, they, some were simple spirals. You know, and the circle is a circle of life, and you know, there's, there's a lot of different interpretations. And uh, you know, there's some have been, you know, I'm sure there've been some occult uses. Uh, at, at one point, they were used as a form of uh, a form of pilgrimage, where it was unsafe during the Crusades to travel. You could do a pilgrimage without going anywhere by walking the labyrinth, and. Um, so there's an 800-year-old labyrinth, which I walked uh, a, year, a year ago, in, uh, the, in Paris, just outside of Paris, in Chartres, on the cathedral floor in Stone. There's a, and that labyrinth has been there for 800 years. It's quite, quite famous and quite, quite a remarkable thing to experience. Now, the ones in your book that I noticed, you're talking uh, within the last 20 years, 30 years, in the Connecticut and Rhode Island area. They're pretty well new. Most of the labyrinths are new. Most of the labyrinths in the country uh, are new. And a lot of it has to do with the, the efforts of a woman out of the West Coast, Lauren Artress. And she it really uh, has championed, she got interested in labyrinths in the 90s and really started championing them and making people aware of them. And, uh, and she formed a, a, a labyrinth society and and whatnot, and as a result of her effort, and also you know the effort, the interest. I think the millennium was a changing point, turning point for interest in things spiritual, and I think people started seeking spirituality uh, and seeking in general. And uh, labyrinths are a form of a, a great tool for meditation, especially walking meditation. And uh, so before uh, before the turn of the century, in the 1900s, late, in 1998, I looked up and I could only find there was a listing of only 100 labyrinths in the United States. And today there are more than 4,400 labyrinths listed wow. in the United States. What a growth those, that is. Some of, the, you know, some of those are portable, you know, canvas labyrinths and, and, and the like, but most of them, many of them are permanent. 
and many of them are very, very beautiful. Some are simple, some are temporary, some are, you know, just absolutely amazing. Now, you had a personal experience with someone? You went one direction, and they went the other direction, and it turned into a romance? Yeah, well, what happened was I was, uh, uh, I was sort of called in, uh, to uh, walk the Camino de Santiago uh, in uh, 2017, and that's a, a that's a 1,200-year-old pilgrimage route across the north of Spain. And uh, while walking that, I met a, uh, a Dutch woman uh, in, in the middle of Spain, in the middle of my walk. And we walked together for uh, the morning, and then in the afternoon, we came across this giant spiral labyrinth, and it's the only, it was the only the second labyrinth I'd seen on the whole walk. And uh, so I said I wanted to walk it, and she said, okay. And so she went ahead, and we walked and walked and walked, and finally got to the center. She turned around, opened her arms, and I walked into them. <laughs> and uh, and it was like our souls collided. It was quite quite uh, a shock, I think, to both of us. And uh, so as a result, we I've been going back and forth to the Netherlands uh, ever since. And uh, the walk that I said, but the visit to the Chart Cathedral, which I mentioned we did uh, a year or so ago, a, year, a little over a year ago, uh, we went there together, and this time in the middle of the labyrinth, I proposed to Charlotte, and she said yes. So, wow, what a story. Now, in your interviewing and doing your source material, did you run into any in- interesting stories, um, you know, psychic experiences or anything like that? Oh, it, you know, there's some, it, 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 some, none that I could specifically uh, recount. But, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk about energy, different energy fields, or different experiences. There's a, there's an interesting phenomenon that happens with some labyrinths uh, where while walking them, there's some labyrinths that are almost on the road, and uh, you can be walking them, and you will not hear the traffic of the cars going by. Because I think what happens is you start to focus on and it's a wonderful walking meditation because normally if you're just walking, you know, you're just walking and your mind's free to wander around. Whereas in a labyrinth, depending on how wide the pathways are, you are focused on your footsteps. You're focused on staying in the pathway. And as that happens, your your mind and quiets and you're focused on that and you start to not, not notice, you know, now I've seen another phenomenon throughout New England in my travels of the corn mazes every fall. What is the difference between a corn maze and a labyrinth? Well, the, the difference between a maze, technically they're both labyrinths. There's a maze labyrinth and what's called a universal labyrinth. And But as a uh, it's become common to refer to mazes, which are puzzles, uh, as mazes. And what happens with those is they have a series of dead ends. It's a puzzle that's the purpose of a, a maze is to keep you from finding your way to the center. And uh, with the universal labyrinth, there's only one pathway to the center, so you cannot get lost. You're always you're always on your path, and uh, and some labyrinths go around are just spirals, as I mentioned before. But many of them have twists and turns and go back and forth, and uh, so they, it's a wonderful metaphor for life. And to you keep know. you on your straight and steady path. Yeah, well, to, to get you to trust that you're on your path. Sometimes we doubt where we are in our journey, and. Um, you know, but you know, we're exactly where we're supposed to be on our journey. In the labyrinth, you'll be walking along and all of a sudden you're going at 180 degrees from where you were a minute ago. And, uh, and you, but you're still on the path and uh, you're still going to go to your destination, which is the center. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a good way to be reminded that uh, we're all on our own path and uh, it's, it's going to go. We don't know where they're going to go. And, but we just have to trust. I know a lot of the mansions down in Newport have the gardens that are built that way, 
in some of the more expensive houses in Europe. Uh, they are known for that, Downton Abbey and a few of the others. They always showcase that. But I've always also noticed there's been a lack of that in the southern part of our country. Uh, well, you don't see too many. Well, they, you don't see as many cornfields, I guess. <laughs> you know, for the uh, for the fall uh, uh, maze walks, but uh, but there are um, uh, a, there there's some there's some labyrinths that have high walls like a like a maze, um, but most of them are two dimensional, and um, and they're they're all and they're all over the country. And they're Massachusetts. I'm hoping to do the next volume on labyrinths in Massachusetts, and there are about a hundred just in Massachusetts. Okay, this is really going to turn into something big for you then. You'll probably have chapter one, book two, book three. <laughs> we'll see. It depends on how much travel I can afford to do. <laughs> so. Now, with the associations you talked about, they have a registry of where these are all located in each city? Yes, there's an online uh, uh, database called the Labyrinth Locator. And you can, when you travel, you can look and uh, you can put in where you are, what country you're in, what state you're in, and it will come up with labyrinths uh, nearby. And it's not always up to date. It's been around for a while, so it hasn't always been up to date. I've used it as a reference, uh, a very good reference, and necessary for doing the book. Uh, but many of them I found were out of date. They don't exist anymore. Um, People have sold their properties and the like, or businesses have, you know, moved and not built a new labyrinth yet. But the, the difference between that database and the book is, uh, one, I have, for almost all except one, which is not built yet, I have photographs of each labyrinth, and I give a background on the story behind the labyrinth, and there isn't, uh, there isn't any of that on the online database, it's just sort of very, very limited information. You've also included a Google map set up in the back to locate each one in each town. Correct, yeah. There's a map in the front for Connecticut and a map in the back for Rhode Island. And uh, so you can get a sense of where they are going to be in the state. And then you can uh, look it up and get the specifics. And so if you're going to be in you know, northwest Connecticut, you can go kind of take a look and see what's up that way. You know, and maybe you'll go search one out on your travels. And uh, they sort of add a little, little something to people's travels. And they've added a lot to my travels. Wherever I go, I try to find a labyrinth. Now, you've and, also been involved with some other books with some other authors, uh, Steps and Stories by Sandy Beach. Yeah, I did. I've done three books uh, with Sandy. Uh, Sandy Beach was a cousin of mine, actually. And uh, the first book I did was Dear Friend. Uh, which was some, he did some writings that were never published. They were just little letters called Dear Friend, and they were just, uh, he started out to make it daily meditations, but he didn't write that many of them. So I did uh, two volumes of weekly meditations, and, uh, and it was the second volume of Dear Friend that I used uh, the labyrinth on the cover, and that got my labyrinth pursuit going. And uh, the other book is Steps and Stories, which is a uh, wonderful, wonderful book. It's, Sandy was a very well-known speaker and well-sought-after speaker in Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, he, uh, uh, he's passed away now, but one of his talks that he considered his quintessential talk, he gave at his home group down in Tampa, a number of years ago, and it was recorded, and it was over 12 weeks, and uh, each week he spoke about the history of AA and about one of the steps, and so there are 12 chapters. Uh, Sandy was an engaging speaker with a good sense of humor, and so it was it was a wonderful uh, gift for me to be able to transcribe those uh, 12 tapes and uh, edit and turn it into a book that many, many people have thanked me for doing and have found very, very useful. It sounds like a book that would help a lot of people in that country, especially in these dire times with uh, you know, the virus and everything going around. A lot of people have gone to alcohol and other means. So there's a big need for these types of books right now, too. Well, I'm, I'm uh, hopeful that you know the, uh, the, the AA book is, is helpful for people that need it, but also the meditation books uh, are 
you know, wonderful companions uh, in this time of stress. And they're also good to take out on a, a labyrinth with you, so you have something to focus your meditation on. And I'm hopeful that this, that with all the um, uh, restricted travel, that people, you know, do find time to travel, you know, nearby and find these labyrinths because they're a good place to, you know, to visit and not have to worry about social distancing because they're rarely crowded. So you can, you know, wait your turn if there happen to be other people there, and uh, and find a little, find a little peace. And, perhaps uh, a little serenity in the midst of all this craziness. I'm seeing another book here you've been involved with, Bottoms Up, a recovery book. Bottoms Up was a, 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 a wonderful little book. It's a series of, uh, it's another written by a, a guy in AA and who's a widow had asked me if I would publish it. He put the book together and actually had... 60 copies printed for himself, and it was his, uh, it was his swan song. He uh, wrote it uh, as he knew he was dying, and uh, he got the books uh, from a friend who was a printer and about just, a, just days before he died. And uh, so his widow uh, wanted to get the book into a wider distribution than just the 60 copies she had, so she, uh, she asked me to... To, to do it. So we, we worked it a little bit and the cover that he has, the photograph on the cover of a drunk in the streets in Boston is just a very, very powerful image. It moved me when I saw it. That's why I brought it up. It's yeah. an outstanding yeah. photo. He was a, he, and, and, and he was a, uh, uh, a photojournalist in the Berkshires and, uh, and he's just a, he has a very comfortable writing style. He did another book uh, on his life growing up in the Berkshires, and, and the only way I could summarize his writing after reading that book was a sort of like reading Norman Rockwell. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he's a very, very nice, very, very comfortable reader. Now, Bill, what are you working on now? I'm uh, working on uh, shipping out the, <laughs> the Chasing Labyrinths book, and uh to, uh, to all the all the advance orders that I had. And, uh, okay, now I noticed I did not see it this morning on the Amazon. It's going to be an in-house sale. Well, it's uh, for the moment it's uh, only available through HotchkissPublishing uh, dot com, and it will be at some point uh, on Amazon. But um, not at this point. It, it, hopefully, within the next couple of weeks, I'll get it posted up on Amazon. Now, you were planning an e-book or an audible book on that? No, this is uh, just purely a print book. It's in color, uh, and uh, and it's a, it's a reference. It's a guidebook, so it's a reference. It's not meant to be read cover to cover. It's meant to be used as you see fit traveling around your your state. This might be a good one to sell into the library systems. Yeah, it, 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 you know, I don't know uh, what the library... Uh, market is for this book. I haven't really focused on that, but I'll definitely have to look into it. Are you planning on going on a speaking tour? Uh, maybe uh, schools well, or something? <laughs> my plan was to go on, to do a little speaking tour, but, uh, but Corona has sort of gotten in the way of holding speaker events and book signings, so yeah. at least for the time being. And I know that a number of the, number of the la people that have labyrinths the facilities and churches uh, have asked whether I would come and do a talk and a book signing, and I'd be I'd be more than happy to. But at the moment, we haven't been able to schedule anything until we get the travel. On this on this subject matter, is there a lot of religious overtones to it? <laughs> I wouldn't say uh, terribly religious. There's you know certainly religious history connected, but at some point, if, if, at one point in history, so. So the Catholic Church considered them uh, a cult and uh, and banned uh, labyrinths. So you know they've gone in and out of favor with the church throughout the years, and depending on the church you're talking about. But many of them are at churches. Uh, some Catholic, some Protestant. They're, they're, it's all over the place. Uh, some are at retreat centers, and some are just in, in towns. We just I just built a one last summer for my town. I'm in Brantford, Connecticut, and uh, the local Stony Creek uh, quarry is famous for their grant, their pink granite, and they donated all the material uh, for us to 
build a, uh, a very nice labyrinth that is getting a lot of use uh, with, uh, it's on a hiking, it's in the middle of a mile long hiking trail. And so uh, a lot of people are out on that trail hiking and many of them are taking a little time out to walk the labyrinth saying thank you for uh, it being there. So it's, it just happened to be uh, come along at the right time. From start to finish, how, how long did it take you? Oh, to build that? The town did, the town was wonderful in, in doing all the site work. And so once they laid, laid it out, what it is is just uh, uh, the pathways are uh, lined with uh, just starting, uh, granite blocks that are you know, football size or, or a little smaller. And uh, so we had, I, I spent about three and a half hours one week with a friend drawing out the lines and painting these orange lines uh, all over the surface, which was just uh, a, a, what they call process, uh, base gravel packed down very nicely. And so we painted the lines. And then the next week uh, we had uh, stones delivered and we had four piles of stones and about a dozen people showed up. And, and about three hours later, we had a labyrinth. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do. And it's something that will last a long time for future generations. It's going to be there for a while, I hope. And, uh, and I hope many, many people enjoy it. Well, I enjoyed the interview. I got a copy that you sent me over this morning, and I printed it out. And it's something that really interests me. It made me aware of something else or in my surroundings here in Connecticut, Rhode Island, and as you said, Massachusetts is a treasure trove with over a hundred of them, and I'm sure New Jersey and New York have their share too. Sure, I haven't looked into into the, the how many are there yet. I don't, I don't want to get too overwhelmed, but hopefully we'll do uh, Massachusetts in the next over the next year, and then have, and I'd like to follow up with Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. Okay, in, in another volume. And again, Bill, uh, Bill Ludwig today on the phone with a brand new book that's just being released. What is the uh, easiest uh, consumer-friendly way to order this book up and uh, to attain more profits for you? Uh, well, the, the only way to order it right at the moment is uh, through Hotchkiss Publishing website, which is hotchkisspublishing.com. That's H-O-T-C-H-K-I-S-S publishing.com. Now, are you working as a hybrid through Create Space with Amazon? Uh, on, on the uh, on the Sandy Beach books, I did uh, through Amazon Create Space. I print copies separately on my own for uh, uh, for resale, and uh, orders that go to Amazon are printed there. However, the uh, Chasing Labyrinths book is. Uh, is I just had printed. Uh, it's because it's in color. Uh, the uh, Amazon Create Space KDP format just is not cost effective. It's terribly expensive. It'd be about ten dollars a copy to do a to for them to. Uh, so you're doing that with a local publisher right here in Connecticut? No, we're, we're uh, uh, the printer I'm using is out in uh, Illinois. Yeah, in Illinois. Yeah. Oh, that's a very good, helpful hint for our uh, listening audience that are, you know, in the just starting in the book business to watch out for the cause. If anybody needs uh, information, they're more than welcome to send me an email through the website, and I'd be happy to give them the information about this printer who's uh, really one of the most cost-effective short-run printers that I've found. Thank you very much, Bill. When you get that second, when you get that second book out there, give me an email, and um, we'll try to get you on the app. I'll do that for sure. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Bill. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Bye. That concludes the first part of the show, and I hope we enjoyed that as a new experiment I have here, broadcasting remotely from my office up here in Connecticut. We talked about the sneaker outlet, and there's a few other businesses that uh, have adapted to the virus right here. And Cereal's Pizza Rama and Restaurant, as you know, is uh, best breakfast in Northern Rhode Island, and they're celebrating their 52nd year in business with three different owners. But Jimmy right now has uh, come up with a plan, and it seems to be working very, very well during this pandemic hours, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
Uh, he's opened up for breakfast instead of the regular 7 o'clock at 8 o'clock. And you can order a fantastic breakfast at 401-568-7187. I take advantage of the Tuesday specials, which he's still on as, as Jeff Gamash approved. And we're talking every Tuesday a 16-slice large cheese pizza, rectangle in shape, on a nice grease-free cornmeal crust for $6 every Tuesday. I usually get a second one for family members on that. It's such a deal. Now, also, uh, Jimmy and his family and his staff have come up with a fantastic program on Facebook. Cereal's Pizzerama on Facebook will also show you the daily specials, the phone number to call in. They'll tell you exactly 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 35 minutes, depending on the volume. You park in the parking lot, which is free, about six feet away from each other in line. And then the cooks come out and mention three or four names. Those people pick up their order and then they rotate it like that. And it seems to be a perfect situation in a uh, virus environment here. Trying to stay afloat. But the quality of the food is there. Uh, Everything is washed down daily. Everybody's wearing gloves. Everybody's wearing masks. And we'll get through this together. Then we can get some regular hours, get back to 7 o'clock in the morning. And also, he's always got the delivery service, too. Again, by calling 401-568-7187. We talked about uh, another uh, new restaurant in the Woonsocket area, and what a mix of restaurants we have. Now, this is something, if you want to try something different for your taste buds, how about some African and... Uh, Soul Food, right here in the quiet city of Woonsocket. They're located, Dedda's Kitchen, African and Soul Food, at 206 North Main Street in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, right across from the fire department. And they have been open every day during the uh, virus because they deliver. They start at 1130 every day by calling 401-767-3459. They got a fantastic menu, which was designed and printed by uh, American Beauty Sign Works on Providence Street, another one of the valuable consumer services they have there in business services. And uh, their daily specials, Monday through Friday, start at a very cost-effective $5 up to 11 And I talked to one of the chefs there, and what a hot ticket she was. The aromas of the spices will make you hungry. But she says a lot of dishes in the Northern Rhode Island area consist of a lot of spinach items and kale items. Very, very healthy. And you know what I'm talking about. Dennis Kitchen for a unique experience of African and soul food right here in the quiet city of Woonsocket. 401-767-3459. As you know, we talked the last two or three weeks on appraisals, a lot of people are inheriting collections or they get the task of cleaning out a friend or a relative's apartment or a house or an estate sale. Okay, if you'd like to have me do that appraisal, it's Wayne, W-N-R-I, Yahoo.com. And these are a few of the things that I'm looking for. Okay? You've got to uh, let me know what the image is. Take a picture with your phone or your camera and send it to me by email. The author, first name, then the last name. The title of the book. The city of the publication. And if it's second, third, fourth, eighth printing, whatever. On the third or fourth page of the book, it's going to have first city of the first printing, okay? It's also going to have the year of the print. It will be right there also. Addition or limited number of the piece. Most important of all, the publisher's name. And in your opinion, on a scale of 1 to 5, 5 being extra 5 pristine, a 1 to 5 condition of the book. Now, I could get into... A lot of other things that I'm going to be looking for to determine the age of the book. 
making sure it's not a reprint and make sure it's really the real deal. So I'll be looking for leather bound, uh, raised bands, uh, leather borders, uh, front free end paper, the type of hinges you have in the book, uh, accumulating round spots. A lot of people think that's water damage in a lot of the older books. It's a common occurrence on that older style paper. It's called brown spots or foxes in the trade. Our, our front page description, which we talked about, and then I'll determine whether the edges are gilt or a catalog description on the many numerous sites around the country, especially auction houses. Normally, if you find something or get that task of cleaning up some inventory, everybody thinks they have a, a million-dollar collection on the books. If they're common books in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth printing that they made millions and millions of books on, there's very little value. It might be more of a personal value as a family member's personal collection, which we all are convicted of being hoarders, and we are a collectible society here in the United States. Now, the things I look for when I go to an estate sale, a garage sale, and I'm finding now I, I basically stay away from the Savers, the Salvation Armies, because most of people that really make a living on this are going in with their new style cell phone with certain apps in it, and they're scanning the barcodes and the ISBN codes on the second and third page, and they're already going through it before you get there. So you're going to have better luck at an estate sale, a garage sale, or see an old property and say, I was just wondering, do you have any old books? And uh, that's where you find your real treasure troves. Hot items right now that I've done very, very well with. Old military books from any country. And especially if they have color or highly detailed maps of an invasion, of a particular battle. Those are things that are very, very collectible to an exclusive group. Now, I get a lot of emails on Civil War books. I did a search the other day on one of my favorite computer sites, and they said there's been 85,000 different books in print covering the Civil War. Okay. Uh, let me tell you what I look for in a Civil War book. I like the books that were put out by University Press. They did a fantastic job on them. There were expensive books to start with. So you got the value of a good quality book. And I'm finding right now there is more interest in the Southern books than there are on the North. There's been a new uh, resurgence on this. And especially if it's got detailed battles and, you know, the maps and a description or part of an interview from one or two of the soldiers that were in that unit. Those seems to be very, very good special interest books right now. Regimental books. The 118th. The Black Regiment from Rhode Island. There's so many different specialized regimental books. Very, very hot. World War I. It's all around. I find right now, after all of this dust has settled on so many books that are being printed, and they're still being printed to this day, new books on World War, a different story. I find the ones that hold their resale value are the aviation books. There's, there's a niche market on the aviation, whether it's World War I, World War II, whatever, but also as a war book, but also a second category, you're doubling your uh, sources to sell a book to, aviation. Especially on certain unit history. You know, there was one unit in the Second World War, they had 47 hits, 47 kills, and then one of the members wrote a memoir about it. Those seem to be very, very good on sellers. Basically, you got to get into books 
pre-1980. There are a few exceptions, especially art books. But really get into some good investment books. You're talking 1929 or back. And what I'm saying is about the Depression. Up until 1929, those books and back bring the most money. Travel Maps, the big movie we had a few years ago called The Green Book. It was a list of all the places for the black population that was traveling around the country. Was it a safe place to sleep, a safe place to eat? Any of the older travel books, you know, when Ford really come full board, the Model T, then the Model A, and all the roads changed from overnight uh, cattle roads into regular roads into Eisenhower uh, with the great highway plan. Travel maps in those books to go with it, like an old Route 1 or Route 66. They still sell. Also, medical books, especially with graphics, illustrations, uh, first guys on cancer, first guys on a throat injury. These specialty books still bring money. Some old children's books by Scribner are still bringing good money, as long as they're in excellent condition. Okay, there's many ways to go about checking this stuff, and there's a million websites and apps, too, to help you on that voyage on that. But you'd be willing to pay a fee for somebody to do the research and be certified and understanding that his reputation or her reputation is on the line for coming up with that estimated value. A lot of people do it for insurance purposes. A lot of people do it for money. To post it on eBay or Craigslist or whatever, they don't want to put it too low. They can always come down, but they don't want to put it too low and say, I gave away too much profit. I'll give you one little tip. And my uh, people in the fraternity that I'm in are probably going to kick me as soon as they hear this. Next time I see them, they're going to give me a kick on it. If you're going to a garage sale or an estate sale, what you don't want to do is cherry pick just from your memory a pile that you're starting on the floor or in a box that you know you want and you haven't even gone through the line yet? Because now you're making jealousies to the seller. He's saying, boy, he knows those are worth some money. I I made a mistake. I only had a dollar per book on them. So he's never going to sell them to you. Establish when you get there, what are your guidelines for selling your books? Is that a dollar pile? Is that a $5 pile? Is there a discount if I find 20 or 30 books? And stick to that. You can pull the book out a little bit, an inch, but don't put it on the ground. And then say, you know, I think I found a few books. I've got uh, 20 books. How much do I owe you? You give them the $30 or $15. You make a deal. Then you pull them off. And that way, the transaction time, it doesn't give him time to dwell or her time to dwell. Oh, boy, did I price these wrong. So there's many ways of doing it. But just use your common sense and your selling and buying skills, and you can score out there too. The other thing on that too is, uh, you know, it's your personal preference. If you're a collector of a certain author, it's worth a little bit more to you because you want everything that the guy wrote, or a different style. A lot of Western books are very hot right now, uh, cowboy books and trapping and stuff like that out in the West. And, uh, you know, it's a different collector. It's a buyer's market. Talking about a buyer's market. Are we ever going to get some short track racing in New England? I hope so. Because we got a guy that's got an inventory up there to choke a horse. And we're talking about the new Northeast race cars and speed. Uh, pick up a ship daily right up until 11 o'clock at Six Hill Road in Harrisville. 02830 for the GPS. And that's owned by uh, Shane Hopkins and Raylene. Uh, they bought the business from Brad LaFontaine, and it's 401-710-9992 or 
766-4748 from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. along with Hopkins Brothers Auto Repair, same property at the old Harrisville Bowling Lanes across from Doty's. Race car parts, supplier, and custom fabrication, chassis setup, or they'll work on your race car. Any division, he's got an experience and people to do the jobs right there. Simpson, MSD, Willwood, Moroso, and so much more. Race car parts and service from a career-long racer, Shane Hopkins. Okay, a few specials. Spartan SD20. You guys out there know what I'm talking about on that chemical. How about $4.99 a can? 15% off all sweet manufacturing. Steering, boxes, wheels. And he's got that new style wheel that's a, a new rule registration on some of the tracks on the uh, late model cars. So you want to check that out. He's got them right on the shelf. We're ready to ship. I did have an event the other day and we were spaced out. <laughs> It really worked out good because it was a fishing event. A lot of the states have really opened up early to try to keep the crowds instead of that original opening day. But every time, you know, the adrenaline's flowing, everybody's going out there to catch that first rainbow trout of the spring, and you'll always find somebody that locked the keys and the key fob in the car. Now, who are you going to call? An ex-wife? Find out you're three months back on your alimony? Ghostbusters? No. I gave you enough time. Get your Android and download this phone number. Larry's 24-hour towing, lockout surface, uh, service, surface charge. Maybe you just need a jump start. Or you got that fantastic million-dollar stimulus check. And you bought a car, a truck, or a motorcycle. It's warm enough now. You got a nice motorcycle. Got a good deal on it. How are you going to get it home? It's unregistered. Call Larry's 24-hour towing. Seven different types of vehicles he has, whether it's a flatbed or on the hook or a small customized trailer, they'll do it all. Larry's 24-hour towing, 401-568-6286. They share that same building with the iconic Boroughville building, Boroughville Motor Sales. Since 1922 right there, used auto and truck sales now and vehicle state inspections. Owner Pete, June, uh, Druin, uh, Jerry, John, Brian, the whole crew, they're all ASE certified. And also expert body work and insurance estimates right on the premises. They'll work with all companies. 401-568-6286. I got soccer mom vans, 4x4s. Uh, how about Junior? He got his first car and uh, going to get some rent money out of him, a little board money. Have them go over to Boroughville Motors and get a, a car. Gets over 30 miles a gallon. Maybe get a little bit more board money out of them. Get that and so much more at Boroughville Motors and Larry's 24-hour towing. 401-568-6286. What's coming up on the calendar? I had to get that new one because it was released today. And uh, as a subject matter that I wanted to talk about later, Briss. And uh, let's see what we've got here. Surviving Your Dream Vacation by Pamela Carey. And she says, Wayne, if you don't like that book, she says, here's another one. Elderly Parents with Their Marbles by Pamela Carey. That should be a real good one. Uh, we got a real good success on Voyage of Mercy that we did by uh, Stephen Poeo. And uh, matter of fact, I sold quite a few of those books because of that. Very, very good book. Um, J.F. Collin. If that name rings a bell, she's one of the most renowned uh, copyright lawyers in the country. She represents Walt Disney on a lot of cases. And she hails New York York as home, her and her husband, are both uh, copyright lawyers. But she's uh, switched it up now, and she wrote a very first romance book. I've got the book here. And she's also written another book since this one, Flirtation on the Hudson. We're going to get her on. And then Tomaquark Museum down in Arcadia. Uh, They have a museum down there for American Indians and stuff. And Lorenz Spears is the manager on that. And her and four other people collaborated on the Roger Williams translation book back from the 1600s, A Key into the Language of America. This is going to be a blockbuster one. Vikings. 
by Magnus, Magnus Magnuson. He sent it to me on a dare. I read it. I just have to find time to get him on the show. And especially with the success of Vikings on the History Channel. Uh, the Deserta. I think it's number 11 in the country right now. By Alex and Nelson DeMille. This is not the first time for a father and son to uh, collaborate on another fantastic book. And this one's called The Deserter. I have the book here right now, so watch for advertisements on that. Also, a witch who also is unemployed right now because the school systems are cut down, or maybe she's doing it by home uh, schooling. But a Massachusetts fourth grade teacher by the writer's name of S.M. Nevermore. I got a book at a witch meeting from her, uh, Tales of the Paranormal. And I cannot wait to uh, tear that book and dissect the book over the year. Uh, Henry Hits the Ball, too, by Pasco Gorda, uh, author Tom Ring. He normally writes books on uh, short track racing, and that's his uh, first attempt to getting into baseball. Green Dragon Comics has got limited order authors hours right now, but she's doing a lot on the internet. And Green Dragon Comics is located at 1 Victory Highway at the intersection of Route 102 and Route 100. Give her a call and another business savvy gal, very, very big on Facebook and with her website, Green Dragon Comics, 401-949-2076. Magic the Gathering, Fortnite, Brand new comic books, collector comic books, you name it. 401-949-2076. That's Green Dragon Comics. Who do I use? Got an email here. Okay, make the investment. If you got a big collection, it's a monthly fee, but it's got a list of every book, major book that's been auctioned from 1898 to date. And you get uh, newsletters, uh, books from them, a lot of information, rarebookshub.com. It's not free, but if you're going to really get some information on it and use it for future reference, it's really the Bible. i got to go over there and get some more uh, elderberry pills. I'm getting low. And we're talking about Harvest Moon Health Foods. Right over here on Route 21 in Putnam, Connecticut, Colonial Plaza. That's right off Route 44. Uh, the last set of lights before you come into Putnam with the new car dealers on. Uh, take a left right there. That's Route 21. And you'll see a little plaza on the right-hand side called Harvest Moon Health Foods. They're open seven days a week. And uh, Tuesday hours, uh, Monday through Wednesday at 10 a.m. in the morning till 6 p.m. They have Concetta's homemade healthy chocolates there. Assorted dried nuts and fruits. Vegan and gluten-free. They have Connecticut raw milk, which is illegal to sell in uh, Connecticut. And they also have my elderberry pills, my cranberry pills. I get a coconut brown sugar there when you're first starting with diabetes. So one of the family members, I get that. You can't taste the difference, but it's a healthy type of sugar. And so many more things. If you saw it on any of the computer sites, or any of the health shows that you see on cable TV, talk to them at Harvest Moon Health Foods or give them a call at 860-928-2352. If they don't have it on the shelf, they'll gladly get it for you. Very, very business friendly. I think i got one minute left here, so how about a nice little poem from the telephone man, Poems by Mary Ann Mayer. I don't know if I'm going to have enough time. Wire Chief. He's in charge of everyone who works outside, but he never called me on anything except once. He got me good over Prospect Heights. He liked us to pull over the wires up tight, but not too tight. Leave some play in them. He liked the wires close together, hanging with just the right amount of slack. Nice and neat, so they look like all one cable. He saw a job I did. Thought I'd left too much sag. Called me into his office and said, That job should bring a blush of shame to your face. The Wire Chief by Mary Ann Maya. We'll see you next week on The Author's Hour.
Thank you to our fine sponsors, guests, and emailers at waynewnri.yahoo.com and for tuning in to the Author's Hour. Remember to shop locally and to read a book, and tomorrow, please have the best day of your life. Your host, Wayne G. Barber.